Hey, this is WVLP 103.1 FM radio, Valparaiso, Indiana, community-based radio, great radio station. And you are listening to Everyday Warriors. In this show, we do not talk about politics. We don't talk about politicians. We certainly don't talk about music artists or movie stars or anything like that. We talk about the real heroes of every day. And today we are talking to one of those real heroes, Matt Vickers, the director of career services at Calumet College of St. Joseph. Hi, Matt. Hey, Danny. You know, I don't know if uh, hero is the word that I would use, but I appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, you are a hero, my man. And uh, <laughs> let me introduce myself, as I always do. Our listeners already know me, but I'm Dr. Danny McGuire, uh, department chair for criminal justice and public safety programs at Calumet College of St. Joseph, therapy intern at Jacqueline Augustine Associates and owner and CEO of ADL Wellness Solutions. So Matt, you are a hero and I'll tell you why, because you help people find employment in today's society, you know, just my observation teaching at the college. Now my, my, you know, truth be told, as you know, my program is mostly police officers going back to school to get bachelor's and master's degrees. So they already have a job. But the trend I hear from them lately, particularly in the Chicagoland area, because they, you know, they're kind of overworked. I mean, that's not a secret. I'm not saying anything. That's not true. They're overworked. They're tired. Um, There's this anti-police sentiment and, you know, movements that might not necessarily be 100% valid that criticize police and what we do. Now, now I I always said this, we're, (laughs) you know. Uh, we're not by any means without sin, for sure. And we, we need to change the way we do things in certain aspects. But for the most part, we do things pretty right. So the trend is with, with the law enforcement professionals that I teach is, hey, I'm done with this job. I'm going to get my 20 years. Uh, I'll be you know, 43 years old, 44 years old. I'm going to retire. I'm going to wait to collect a pension. And uh, one individual said, I'm going to move to Montana and buy like a 1000 acres and I'm going to raise alpacas. And, and, and I said to him, Matt, I said, well, what do you know about alpacas? He goes, I don't know, but I never want to see a human being again. <laughs> right. So I'm like, well, have you ever done any research about changing jobs? And that's where I'm gonna let you take it from here. What kind of, you know, tell, tell us about a little bit what, what you do at the college and uh, well, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So, um, so I am the director of career services here at Calumet College of St. Joe. So I oversee the career services department and I've been working in career services, career advising, academic advising for eight years or so. Uh, and so I'm originally from the university, I'm originally from Nebraska, graduated oh. from the university of Nebraska. Right. Um, You're a black you know, shirt, black shirt, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, there people still, uh, still bleed red, go big red in Nebraska to this day. It's the, the, the stadium Memorial stadium is the third largest city in Nebraska on game day. I'm sure you've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I moved to Northwest Indiana or, you know, greater Chicagoland in 2013 to be with my now wife. Uh, and I had a bachelor's degree in communications and the way it was presented to me at school was, Hey, you could do anything with this. Uh, which sounded nice at the time. But then as I started job searching, I was thinking, well, I kind of need a little more guidance. What do you mean? Anything. Um, So I moved to Valpo um, and I just started job searching. And again, very little experience. I had one, maybe two jobs up to that point. And I just happened to get connected with uh, the Center of Workforce Innovations, uh, Work One, I don't know if you're familiar, Um, Mm -hmm. a a kind of a not-for-profit organization in Northwest Indiana funded by the Department of Workforce Development, the Department of Labor, that specifically works in uh, helping unemployed individuals find employment. So so now my job, I go from being an unemployed person to someone who then helps unemployed people. (laughs) And that's kind of how I got my start. And so it was, you know, people collecting unemployment insurance benefits, uh, kind of going through the state system. And, you know, I I kind of realized, because they always frame it, at least when I was in school, it was always kind of framed as think about like, uh, if you could do anything, what would it be? And I always thought of it as like a mechanical action. Like if I could perform one task every Mm -hmm. single day, what would it be? And I always had a really hard time with that framing, because I couldn't think of one specific 
uh, duty that I would like to perform every single day. And so I started doing this type of work and okay, I learned that, and this might sound cheesy, but I learned that what I really want to do every day is, is help people, is put some good back in the world. Um, take some of my perspective and some of my, I don't know, positivity and kind of help other people, um, you know, get to where they're trying to go. And so then that just kind of snowballed from there. I did that for a couple of years. I moved offices. That really helped me get, you know, kind of a lay of the land from Valpo to Portage uh, to, to Gary to Hammond. I worked at all these different places. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of, like I said, snowballed. So from there, I got an opportunity to work for the online branch of Purdue University. Uh, so I worked at Purdue Global for a few years, uh, which then took me to a, a smaller school in downtown Chicago, National Lewis University. Um, which also has a criminal justice program, also has an education program. I worked um, there. Oh, you did? I did from 2013 to 2018 when did I came work, back in the criminal justice the program. program? Yeah. Uh, who, was the, who was the program chair when you worked there? Rich Shack. Yes, he is still there. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I think he just announced, I still talk to some of my good friends and colleagues who work there, and I'm, I think he just announced... Uh, this semester that he was going to kind of be stepping down a little bit and he was going to focus on just being a professor uh, and he didn't want any of the administrative duties anymore because as I'm sure you know that can be its own headache yeah it's um, tough it's very tough yeah uh, and so so yeah uh, I moved from NLU this opportunity at Cal College presented itself and I wasn't even necessarily searching uh, it just seemed like a really good opportunity at a school I was familiar with and so uh, you know, I took a chance and now here I am. So kind of overseeing the department and everything that that entails now. That's awesome. You know, I, I, I tend to take notes when my guests are talking and uh, you, you had said in the beginning, you didn't know if you're a real hero, right? So the premise of a hero is helping people. So you kind of answer that yourself, okay. right? Okay. So you're, you're a hero, whether you like <laughs> it or not, you're a hero, you know, not all heroes wear capes, Matt. That is very true. I would know, agree with that for sure. That's one of the things that you would say, like when you fall flat on your face and someone's like, wow, that's very <laughs> admirable that you fell flat on your face. Well, not all heroes wear capes, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm here for um, it. And as for the administrative part of the job, it, I mean, it, it does, I mean, it's taxing. So I, I tend to, I can't stand meetings. So I, I like, I like the Elon Musk, um, <laughs> The Elon Musk version of a meeting, like he'll order a pizza and say, when the pizza's gone, the meeting's over, right? I like that. I like so that. say what you have to say, we can get this done. Um, and I don't like meetings that could have been handled in emails. And I, and I really don't like emails. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think I like any of the administrative things, but I, I remember I ran across a quote a long time ago when I was in law enforcement. Um, and it was the Roman Empire did not become the world's most dominant power by sitting in meetings. They did it by destroying anyone and everyone who opposed them. And Just people terrible. are like, man, that's pretty harsh. I'm like, well, that's what they did. <laughs> they didn't do it. Yeah. And I'm sure they yeah. didn't meet about it. They didn't have a meeting. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, Pontius Pilate met, you know, hey, what a bunch of people, what do you want me to do with this guy, Jesus here? Right. That, that was about the extent of their meetings. Right. So that's, uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that the administrative part of the jobs are just, it's sometimes I wonder if the meetings really are just someone justifying their existence in a company. And, you know, I, I think you mentioned this. So uh, when I was in your class the other day, I really liked a lot of what you had to say. Um, and, and I know for a fact that you are no stranger to like getting your hands dirty or doing the work. You have been, for lack of a better term, a boots on the ground individual. That's how I would always kind of frame it, mm -hmm. especially when I was sort of uh, lower on the food chain, let's say, is okay, uh, there are people that are really out there in the trenches doing the work, whatever that means. Uh, and then you, the higher up you go, uh, the less those people are involved with the actual work. And so, you know, coming into this director role, something I really wanted to be mindful of is, okay, I still want to contribute to the work. And how am I going to direct someone? How am I going to advise someone if I'm not actually doing the work? Uh, and if nothing else, selfishly, that's my favorite part, right? To your point, uh, I don't think I know anyone that loves sitting in meetings, um, right? And so for me, the best- There are people that like it. There are some I mean, people that like it. Come on. <laughs> there are some, there's some people in this world that just love to hear themselves talk, you which know, is true. and which is true. They, sit, they sit in meetings and they, they broadcast their, you know, uh, they baffle people with brilliance and bewilder them with the bull stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, I, 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 I and, and you could sniff that out on them immediately. At least oh, I can. 
Absolutely. And that's, yeah. And so, you know, being here at the end of the day, uh, you know, those things are necessary evils, but I'm here uh, again, the best part of my job is, is helping students, is helping people, is uh, doing the advising and having those conversations and doing the work. I could go the rest of my life without being on a 50-person email chain or sitting in a large meeting for three hours you know, on a, on a Monday morning. Uh, at the end of the day, my favorite part is, is actually working with people and doing the work. Um, yeah. So I looked up the definition because I'm this kind of guy while you were talking about hero, right? So I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's go a little deep here. Let's go deep, right? I'm going deep. I'm going deep. So I looked up here. I looked, I looked up hero. And according to Marion Webster, right? Uh, you know, it talks about mythological or legendary figure, often divine descent, uh, endowed with great strength or ability, um, an illustrious hero, a person admired for achievements or notable qualities. One, you know, D is one who shows great courage. Um, and then somewhere in here, it talks about the object of extreme admiration and devotion, right? Okay. A central okay. figure uh, in an event period or movement. So, you know, a hero is a lot of different things, but Absolutely. helping people, the, the, you know, helping people is, is basically the, the groundwork of, of all of this, you know, Batman didn't become Batman because he was cool. Batman became Batman because he was a hero. Right. And, and I'm sure you as an educator, right. Cause you've been an educator for a long time. I'm sure that you would agree with this. The best part of the job is when you get that email, when you get that message that says, thank you so much. Uh, you know, what you said in class or this advice you gave me really helped or you're working with somebody, uh, you know, a lot of my job is kind of like helping things kind of click into place. Uh, and I know you as an educator, right, you have to come up with so many different analogies and different framings of things to kind of make it click with different students based on their different learning styles. And mm -hmm. so for me, a big part of my job is, okay, how do I take this stuff that can be very like, uh, obtuse sometimes and how do I make it click for students and so when I get that email that says Matt thank you so much for helping me prepare for this I got the job I got the internship I really appreciate all your help that's really why I'm here right that's like the best part of the job is when uh, you see that that light bulb click on in real time and then someone appreciates your work and says thank mm -hmm. you so much or, or even if they don't right just seeing their success um, that's why I'm here at the end of the day. Well, no good leader has ever wanted to see the people that are in their charge fail. Agreed. Yes. Your job as a leader is to create future leaders, right? Yeah. So I like to say I'm a getting it done kind of guy, not a getter done because I, you know, it's not me. It's a getting getting it done kind of guy. That's me. So if you if you say this is the goal. And let's say the goal is number 15, whatever it be, 15 widgets, 15 people in a program, 15 pieces of carpeting, whatever. I'm going to give you 25, right? Because I'm not yeah. going to stop at 15 because I, I just can't. And, and I will not stand back. You know, I teach police officers all of the time leadership. I do it through ADL Wellness Solutions, so I, uh, which is the underwriter for this show. So I can say that, right? So, <laughs> so, so, I, so, I, <laughs> so, um, and I, I will show a video clip of the movie 300, right? Okay. It's dramatization, Hollywood, you know, Leonidas and the 300 Spartans, right? Yeah. But it's based off a historical fact. And I always show the video. And where's Leonidas? He's turning back, talking to the troops. Why? Because he's in front. I'm like, where's he at? He's in front. He's <laughs> leading from the front. He's doing it, right? People find it very easy to, find, to follow somebody that's actually been there, done that, or does it leads them into it. Like you first, sir, you first, yeah. ma'am. Absolutely. And another catchy phrase that I came up with a long time ago was if you're going to lead, if you're going to be a leader, then lead me. If you're not going to lead me, then get out of the way. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't be a, don't be a detriment, right. To, to what we're trying to do here, detriment to progress, because that's just not going to happen. We're just not going to allow that to happen because we have forward progress here. We, we cannot stop it because you want to be a detriment to leadership. So um, if you're going to lead me, lead me, you know, and I recently had somebody tell me this because I brought this up in a, in a different vein, right? Like not even in a collegiate classroom. It was a friendly conversation with someone who's professionally linked to me in a different capacity. Okay. And this person said to me, I, I said that if you're going to lead me, lead me, this person 
is now thinking about leaving their job that they're working at because he's like, well, you said to me, stuck to me. Like I called my boss and I asked for some direction on something and the person blew me off. And I was like, if you're going to lead me, lead me. So I'm leaving. I'm going to go find somewhere else to work that someone's going to lead me. And I'm like, oh, I didn't want you to quit your job <laughs> over, over something stupid. I said, I guess, but it, I mean, it really wasn't stupid. So when, when you, when you say things like getting it done and boots on the ground, to me, immediately those things click and it's like a light switch. Yeah. It's leadership, yeah. right? It's leadership. It's interpersonal leadership, how you, how you relate to other people from your intrapersonal characteristics. What, what makes you who you are, your intrapersonal characteristics, and then put them out on people, interpersonal characteristics, and you, you teach them how, how to go out and get it, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, absolutely. And that's, um, you know, it is, it is funny that you mentioned that that person uh, you know, heard what you said, uh, and decided to leave their job. I do, you know, um, and, and so kind of, uh, to, to bring back to what you just mentioned, I, I try to be empathetic. I try to remember what it's like to be 20 years old, to be in college, to pursue that like first job and the stress and the anxiety and the, you know, just, you, you don't know what you don't know. So you're really just kind of feeling around in the dark so much. And I do, you know, uh, as, as I'm not quite, uh, you know, 51, but I'm getting older. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks man. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, uh, I still try to be empathetic and sympathetic to, to remember what it's like to be 20 years old. And so for so many students, I'm talking to them and I say, you know, Hey, in this process, as much as you are selling yourself, right. As much as you're convincing a company that they should pick you. And that's, you know, we can talk about the philosophy of, of, of applying for jobs. I do think, you know, your resume is a billboard, your job interview is a commercial for you. And you do, you are convincing them to, to give you a paycheck, right. You are convincing them to buy you. I don't always like to frame it that way, but that's kind of what you're doing. Um, but as much as you have to convince someone else uh, that they should be interested in you, they also have to convince you that you should be interested in them, right? And so for a lot of my, you know, juniors and seniors, um, you know, I, I challenge them to think about it this way. Um, and so, you know, I, I hate to be that old guy that uses young person terminology, but sometimes when you're in a job interview, the vibes are off, right? And so I, I'll have plenty of students who will go to an interview and they'll say, ah, you know, they, they really treated me poorly and they were an hour late and they didn't apologize and they had xyz and i just didn't get a, a good feeling about this and i said so say no thank you uh you have the power to do that <laughs> right um it's it's okay for you to say hey thank you but no thank you and that is yeah. like such a mind-blowing thought to a 21 year old who's like applying for their first professional job that you could say no um, and, you know, to your point at the top of the show, right, um, there, there are a lot of people going through this right now. And so I just like stress to my students all the time, like, hey, at the end of the day, if, if this is how they're going to treat you in the initial process, how are they going to treat you three months in, six months in, a year in? If this is how they're treating you when they're trying to convince you to come to this company and they're doing such a bad job, it's only going to get worse. Um, and that like just seeing the light kind of explode in a student's mind of like, you mean I can say no? to a job offer, you mean like I could find something better uh, is so eye-opening to so many students. And, and again, that's just one of those very rewarding things of like, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you be able to say no? I find myself telling a lot of my colleagues this, you know, that people, the old, the old adage, birds of a feather flock together, right? So sometimes yeah. you find people that you are like-minded with and there's a lot of times that I look at things and, you know, some of my friends, a lot of my friends that I've grown up with are not in, some of them are not in law enforcement. Some are, but most are not. And um, I've always kept tight with a, with a pretty tight circle. And I, <laughs> I find myself in that circle and everyone is kind of like me in the way of work ethic. They may have different jobs, but they all work. So back when I was a kid, right, when in high school, I'm, I'm going to be a cop, right? Because my dad was a cop. That was last week's show with my dad. I'm going to be a cop. And we didn't have the internet in 1989, 1988, <laughs> you know, 1987. There was no internet. I mean, we still had a, a phone that was stuck to the wall with a long cord on it, right? Oh, yeah. Which if I showed somebody a picture of that now, they'd be like, well, what the heck? Would you kill somebody with that thing? You know, like... I 
I am right. old enough to to have the phone on the wall. So oh, I there see, you go. Yeah, yeah, but but it had an antenna, right? You could walk like across the room with it yes. on. Yeah, I mean, so, so we was had corded, the, the walled right? phone, and then we did have the cordless <laughs> phone. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. And my Italian grandpa, see, my sister would be on the phone at my house, and my grandparents, Italian grandparents, lived you know, like three doors down. My mom's parents, they didn't speak English, so I'd run over there to go on the phone, and I'd be on the phone in the pantry with the cord, and then my nono. Uh, would it's you know grandpa for yeah, Italian yeah. and he'd go up and he'd hang up the phone after five minutes because you know the Pope might call at any time <laughs> so right so that was that was an issue but um, you know with with my friends we, we didn't have internet and we didn't have those things and we had to research jobs a completely different way oh yeah so I became an explorer you know and when I became an explorer within three months I was an explorer sergeant within six months I was an explorer lieutenant right and then it's what I wanted to do. And then at 21, I got my first full-time sworn job. And I was the, one of their first community service officers in Palos Heights where I was a cadet paid, wow. you know, job. So it's like above and beyond, you know, like if I'm passionate about something, I go at it and I give 110%. But the downfall of that is that if I find myself in the situations where, you know, situation or situations where I have poor leadership, I immediately withdraw myself. You know, I go from giving you 120% the minute you crap on me you're getting negative 75. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I've written articles on, on leadership, right. And it's my doctorate's in leadership. So I wrote articles on leadership and one in particular, I wrote, I call it the salad theory. And I think you'll like this okay. <laughs> salad S A L L I D. Right. <clears throat> okay. the, the, if you're the, and these are the six characteristics that frustrate your most productive employees. Number one is self-serving agenda. If you're a leader and you have a self-serving agenda, AKA you're selfish, there, no one's going to follow you. The, the A is acceptance of mediocrity, right? If you accept the mediocre, which sometimes I found in law enforcement, like sergeants were placating people or bosses would be placating people that were just giving you like the minimum to get by, like, oh, hey, thanks for coming. And then your hardest workers are like, why am I going out there killing myself, answering all these calls, doing all this stuff when these people never do anything and they're just like happy they're here. So acceptance of mediocrity fails in leadership, <clears throat> lack of communication. That's a big one. That's huge. Um, especially nowadays, because the digital, I call it the cellular communication device, you know, the digital communication device has kind of ruined the way people interact with people um, like Luke. I don't know if I told this story on the air, but I will. He had some of his hockey buddies over when he was, he was about 15. We had a pool in the yard and uh, they're in the garage and they're all on their phones. I'm like, what the heck are you guys doing? And I looked at Luke's phone and he, he was texting a guy sitting right across from me. I go, you texting him? <laughs> they're like, well, it's a group text. And I go, you guys are all sitting in the same. So I made them put their phones all in a box. I'm like, this is it. You're putting your phones in a box, get your head out of the phone, jump in the pool, you know, do something. I mean, please. So I think that's kind of, and they talk like they text like, LOL. And I'm like, what are you talking about? LOL. <laughs> you know, you're laughing. I can hear you laughing. So it, you know, looking at that, we had to do things a whole different way. And I think that technology is good in some senses, but, but, you know, but in some sense it's bad. So going back to the article, it's lack of communication. I got off on a tangent, <laughs> uh, lack of communication, then lack of transparency right? Which is another huge one. Like, what exactly is it you want me to do here? Right? Your, your battle lines are not clear, or your instructions are not clear. Lack of transparency. Um, and then the I is indecision, like an indecisive boss, your failure, and then disorganization. Oh, yeah. Like that, that is my huge thing. Like if, if, if you know, you, you come into my office at the school, at the books, everything, everything has its place, right? on the police department, when I had an office, everything was where it's supposed to be. And being organized, not only in like looking at things, you know, some things might in my office might not seem disorganized, it might not seem organized, but I know where everything's at. But my calendar is perfect, right? I maintain a good calendar and I do it three months out. And I, and that's how I was able to go to school full time, while working full time as a police officer, getting master's and a doctorate. And then you know, down the road, it's because I maintained a calendar and I prioritize my life with God, family, work, and school. That's just how it is. Absolutely. So when I look at, when I look at these things and I think of leadership and I think of young students now and them wanting to go out for a career, like I want to be a police officer. What steps have you taken to become a police officer is the first thing I ask them. So oh, yeah. what do you think of that, Matt? 
so I, I think you're you're dead on, right? So when I'm talking to any student, uh, and you know wherever they are in the process, it's okay. Uh, I always frame it as I'm here to help you get to where you're ultimately trying to go, and then we talk about how we get there. And so so many students do see uh, a a career, uh, their dream job as a light switch, right? That just okay, I did this thing, boom, I flipped the white switch, the light switch. Now I'm a career law enforcement officer. Now I'm doing whatever. And I always have to explain to them, hey, it doesn't work like that. It's much more of a staircase. And you go step by step by step. It's not something that happens overnight, right? It's not even something that happens the minute you get your bachelor's degree. Uh, when I was in your class the other day and you were talking about you know, how you committed uh, and you set yourself apart from the pack with additional school, with additional licensure, with additional certifications, all these other things. Um, you know, when I'm talking to a student for the first time, it's okay, let's really like look at what it takes to do this. Uh, and so, you know, that can be more uh, macro level, right? You know, what does it take to kind of rise through the ranks, but it can also be very easily micro level. Let's look at a job description. And so law enforcement, uh, you know, sometimes the job descriptions aren't quite as detailed as we might like them to, but usually there's a list of qualifications, of requirements, of expectations. Um, you know, they're going to use so many different synonyms, um, but the way I always frame that to students is, okay, when you see that on a job description, when you see that list of desirables, of expected skills, uh, they're basically asking you, can you do this? Do you have this? They're saying, hey, we want someone who has these skills, who has this knowledge, who can do these things. And they're asking you directly, do you have these things, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you're a freshman, if you're, you know, or, or you're looking to make a career change, right? If you're just in the initial process, the easiest thing you can do is look at something like that, look at what they're uh, asking for and ask yourself, okay, is this me? Do I have this? Have I ever done this before? Do I have experience with this? Do I have this skill? And if not, then we need to actively think about how you develop that, right? How you get that. For some of those things, maybe it's as easy as a certification. Uh, for other things, okay, hey, maybe we have to put in a couple of years. Maybe we have to get that hands-on experience. Um, but knowing what they're looking for is going to be such a huge piece of getting to where you're trying to go. Um, you know, in a previous life, before I worked in workforce development, career services, higher ed, I was a musician. Uh, and I use this analogy with students all the time. Uh, and so at that time, you know, this was, I, I had part-time jobs and unfortunately I could not make music pay the bills. Um, but uh, this is a huge part of my life and I'm very proud of that and the skills that I developed. That being said, uh, to get this job here at Calumet College as the director of career services, um, my music skills had nothing to do with it, right? They mm -hmm. weren't looking for someone who knew how to play four on the floor, who could talk about how good of a drummer uh, Buddy Rich is, or who knew about Audacity and GarageBand. They wanted someone who knew how to talk with students, someone who knew about Microsoft Office, who knew about updating resume trends. And it took me a long time to get to that place. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it's you could be the best figure skater in the world, but if you're not applying for a figure skating job, it's mm -hmm. not going to do you any good. So you, you do have to have some semblance of direction. You do have to have some semblance of, hey, let's really learn what this job is like, right? And you could kind of go from there, right? When we talk about macro level, maybe it's talking to people who have had the job for a long time, talking to people at the company, talking to people like yourself, or listening to that podcast with your dad to really get a feel for, hey, here are some of the real highs, the real lows, um, and, and all of that together is ultimately what's going to be needed to get you where you're ultimately trying to go. Uh, you don't just get to show up one day and say, all right, I'm here for the job. Like, that's just not how it works. Pragmatically, realistically, that's just not the way the world works, unfortunately. Did, now, you said, going back to something you said, I, I took a note here, you were uh, you played instruments. So I assume you were a drummer because you said Buddy Rich yes. and yes. Four on the Floor. Yes. So, okay, you were a drummer. So I, I you probably know this. I played a bagpipe. Yeah, you mentioned that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't play anymore. I played a bass drum in the band because it's hard to keep up with the kids. And after three wrist surgeries and hand surgeries, you I know, imagine. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it just frustrates me because I can't play at the same level I did. But my point is, I always tell people, they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I'm like, no, nah, it's really not because, you know, like at least with a drum, you could like, you know, woo people into like, you know, there's not a lot of dancing except like Highland dancing and Irish dancing with bagpipes. And then, you know, if you're trying to be romantic with a bagpipe, wah, <laughs> it's not really, it's not, it really doesn't do it. Right. So uh, I do, I do, I have been playing my guitar though. I'm trying to get that back into just chords and stuff like that. So that's pretty, keeps me from, uh, you know, 
when I, when my mind goes off into rabbit holes and thinking of what could have been or what, what I need to do, <laughs> or should I sign up for another school program? Should I get another master's, a fourth one? You know, I, I just, you know, it's one, I just play the guitar. That's that'll, that'll, you know. so I, 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 I've been doing that, but the, you know, it's interesting because, and I want to, I don't want to pick up on this and I want to be autobiographical only in the, in the sense that maybe it'll help somebody that's listening. So, uh, and it's, it touches on something that you mentioned. You know, when I, when I got my bachelor's degree, I wanted to get promoted on the police department. I'm like, I want to get promoted. So I got a bachelor's degree. Then when it came time to get a master's, I'm like, you know what? I think I want, I wanted to go to law school, truth be told. And there was a gentleman named Bill Powers. He's a retired commander from the Chicago police department. He was a clinical psychologist. Uh, he got his degree from Adler. He was a teacher at Adler. He retired from the police department and God rest his soul. He passed away. I actually played bagpipes at his funeral. He's one of my mentors. So Bill Powers was a great, great man. And I saw him at headquarters one day and he said, what do you, you know, cause I was turning in my tuition reimbursement stuff. He goes, what do you, what do you, what are you doing after your bachelor's? And I said, no, I'm probably going to go to law school. I took the law school exam. I did very well, you know, applied to Loyola, John Marshall, uh, Kent, and I got into all of them, you know, figure out which one I'll go to. And he's like, well, why would you want to be a lawyer? And I'm like, well, I mean, it just seems like the, I mean, I, I want to move up the ladder on the police department, you know, and I'd like to be a lieutenant someday, maybe a captain, maybe a commander, you know, be command staff, you know, when my time comes, not tomorrow, like a lot of kids today, they're like, I would, oh, I should be a commander. No, you shouldn't. Right? <laughs> you got to do like 15, 20 years on the job to do that. Right. You got to have some experience, you know, and that's another thing we'll talk about in a minute, but I, I remember, and he's like, well, why don't you become a therapist? He's like, you're, you're a pretty good, you know, you're a pretty good listener. You, you're articulate with people. You get to the point. And he's like, I think you'd make a great therapist. And he's like, take one class this summer at Adler. If you like it, you go to school for a master's in counseling psychology. What do you think? I'm like, okay. And I loved it. I was theories of personality with his doctor, Ian. And I, I still can't pronounce his last name. It was a long, like, um, long, like uh, um, Indian uh, last name. And, and he was a phenomenal teacher. He talked about hypnosis. I took two hypnosis classes with him. I, I loved that experience. I was the only cop in the program. I was like in my mid thirties. So I was like one of the oldest guys in the program. And, and, and again, I was the only cop. So it was, it was, you know, for me, it was, it, it was a unique experience because I got to, I was surrounded by people who weren't, when I went through my bachelor's program it was through my program that I, that I'm doing now. Um, except back then we call it law enforcement management, the undergrad. And it was all, all police officers. So I went through that. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go get a doctorate. And originally I was going to get a doctorate in clinical psychology, but that was a lot of work. And, and I'm not afraid of work, but when you're working full time, you're divorced, you have children, you have a son with special needs. It just, it was not in the cards. Sure. So Olivet, I was on my way to my therapy practicum at the Will County Health Department. I did my therapy practicum, 700 hours or thousand hours, whatever it was with court mandated sex offenders and domestic violence, you know, yeah. wow. and uh, all of them would ask me, Matt, they'd say, are you a cop? Like during the group there. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why do you say that? You look like a cop. I'm like, well, what's a cop look like? You know what I mean? Tell me what a cop looks like. <laughs> you, you look like a cop, you know? And I, so I, I, I was on my way one Saturday morning, very early driving there. And a, a, a radio ad came on for Olivet Nazarene university, a doctorate in uh, ethical leadership, right? Doctor of education, emphasis ethical leadership. Centennial cohort will be starting, you know, May of whatever. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to apply to that, right? So I applied to it and I got in and I went and got my doctorate. And then when people say, why'd you get your doctorate? I go, because I wanted to be the superintendent of Chicago Police Department, of course. That's why I got it, right? So, um, and when things didn't work out and I got hurt and I left, I always say, thank God I had that education because <clears throat> I was able to reinvent myself and go into a whole different ball game. And then I yeah. went and got two more master's degrees because of what something you said, reinventing yourself. Like your, your music stuff was not going to get you the job here. Yes. So I got a master's in public administration because you're from Clemson, because it seemed like, you know, in the world that I'm working in the world that I want to go in, it's a good thing. And then I got the foods and nutrition selfishly for myself, the master's of science and foods and nutrition, plus to help people. You know, I, I kind of have this little thing through ADL and I'm not pumping ADL. I'm just saying that I do this thing through Jackie Augustine associates when I'm doing therapy with people, the, my the mind, body, holistic stuff Okay. Um, with helping them transform and get into better shape because it helps, you know, the mind, body, spirit process. So that's, you know, that's why I'm being autobiographical because it yeah. touches on what you said 
about people going to school, like your music background was not going to help you get this job. Sometimes you have to change gears, right? And that's 1000%. Um, you know, when I, and, and again, uh, this goes back to empathy with our students or anyone, right? Um, you know, when I was uh, 21 years old, uh, to make, to, to be a little autobiographical myself, I was a college dropout. Uh, at the time, I was not ready for school. It did not seem important. Um, you know, I had a job that was flexible, uh, that paid me, you know, 15, $16 an hour, which at 20 years old is an insane amount of money. Uh, mm -hmm. I live in this big house with all of my other musician friends. So rent is cheap and we're able to do all these things. And so at the time I was like, all right, I have it figured out. Uh, and I'm sure you could speak to this, uh, you know, as yourself or with your sons or your your family, um, you know, the the difference between a 20 year old me and a 25 year old me is mm -hmm. huge. It's big. I mean, it's, ooh, big. it's the length of the ocean. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I was, you know, I was like, all right, this is it. I'm doing this. I'm living a good life. Uh, I'm going to make music the rest of my life. And who cares? Um, and then, you know, uh, reality starts to set in and it's okay. Uh, you know what? I, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I had met my, uh, girlfriend at the time, again, now my wife, and I'm thinking about the next steps and you know what? Uh, no, no girlfriend, no wife wants to live at a big house, a, a crappy rundown house with seven other dudes who are also all musicians. Um, that's, that's not a dream for any young woman. Uh, and so it was okay. I, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. Um, you know, a lot of my friends at the time were working at Jimmy John's, uh, they were delivery drivers, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But I was like, you know what, I, I can't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. And so it was okay, I got to go back to school. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I'm now 24, uh, 25. And at the very least, I know that this is important, which is maybe mm -hmm. something I didn't realize, you know, I, I, I do think there's something to be said. And I think some people at the school might get a little upset to hear me say this, but I do think um, it's okay to take some time off. Uh, I think, you know, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money. If, if you're not going to apply yourself, um, you know, not that uh, you still couldn't get something out of school, but if you're going to go like I did when I was 20 and, and fail a class and just not put forth any effort, you're, you're not getting your money's worth out of it. It's not going to no. do any good. Um, and so, you know, maybe for, for some students, uh, 18 isn't the time to go to school. It was not the time for me to go to school. And so there I am 24 with this renewed like passion and determination to your point, like, okay, I knew I had to do this. It's my own money. Uh, I have to put forth the effort if for no other reason than I'm paying for this myself. I'm not taking loans. I'm not, you know, my parents aren't there to pay for this. Um, and, and my, my whole worldview had also changed at that point. Right. Uh, and I knew that I had to, to put in a hundred percent to get the most out of this possible, because that's what it was going to take to get me to that next step. Uh, even if there were a few times where I didn't know what that next step was, I still knew that I needed that forward momentum to get me to that next step. Well, the most important thing is something you said about taking time off. I mean, I, you know, truth be told, I, I wanted to be a Marine out of high school. I went to the Marine Corps recruitment station and everything and talked to the Marines. And, and my dad put the kibosh on that because of his Vietnam experience. He goes, there's no way you're going to go to college. I will pay for it. You're going to go to community college. Um, and I did, and I, you know, I wasn't a school guy. So, I, I mean, I essentially took off, you know, when I turned 21, I got my first job, full-time sworn job. I left college for that. And I didn't go back to college till 2005 when I was 34 years old. 2000, yeah. I'm sorry, 2004, when I was 33 years old at Calumet College. So I took off 12 years <laughs> with that experience that I got in that time. And, you know, and something else you said, and I, and I, it's funny, your, your house with all your dudes. So I imagine it smelled like Jimmy John's stale beer and the devil's well, lettuce all of the time. Right? Right? I, uh, I have nightmare thinking about the, the place I'm at now. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the hard work I've put in and my wife and I have put in. Uh, thinking back to 10 years ago, I can't even imagine stepping foot in that house. There's trash yeah. everywhere. There's, it smells like feet in every corner of the house. Yeah. There's yeah. old PBR cans everywhere. <laughs> it's terrible, <laughs> terrible. So uh, a student came to me at the school. There. There's a couple of times traditional students have come to meet Colonel Justice and they're directed, hey, go to Danny and talk to him about law enforcement career. So one guy came out to me and he, you know, he wanted to, he's going to be a pro basketball player. So I'm like, okay, you know, I, I I told him that, you know, I said, well, I was going to be an, you know, an NFL defensive back. He was really. And I said, yeah, the only thing is I lack size, speed, talent, agility, 
you know, the ability to chase somebody after a ball. And he's like, well, that's everything that takes him like, right. So I knew I'm not going to be an NFL defensive back. Right. So at some point in time, reality has got to strike. I mean, you're playing basketball at Calumet college, which is admirable. It's a good conference, but how many guys have played at Calumet college and become pro? You know, it's like my son playing college hockey. It's like, you're going to be a club hockey player. You're not going to be an NCAA hockey player. You're never going to be an NHL. I don't want to put the pin in your balloon. And, and, you know, by the same token, a student comes up and says, you know, I want to be a CSI. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, like I see on TV or a criminal profiler and I go, okay, here's your balloon. Here's the pin pop. You know, there's no such thing. That's TV. That doesn't exist. So you're going to have to, I remember telling students at NLU and here both, like you're going to have to take a test. You're going to take a test with thousands of people to be, to take a police job. You're going to get on a police job. You're going to take, like, let's say you go to Chicago just because everyone, I want to be a Chicago cop. Okay. Sure. You, sure. You know, sure. You've seen it on TV. I know it's great. So, <laughs> right. So here, here's the reality. When you go to take a detective's test, you're going to take it with like 7,000 people for like 600 jobs over the next five years. Then if you take a sergeant's test, you're going to take it with like 7,000 people for like maybe 600 jobs for the next five years, maybe, you know, and then you're going to take a lieutenant's test with 2000 people for, you know, I don't know, uh, 200 jobs in the next five years, you're going to have to do your time. And when you say that, it's like, like all the air out of their sails, just, Oh, what do you, what do you mean? I want to be a homicide detective. Okay. Well, you can be for sure but you're going to have to study. You're going to have to work hard as a patrol officer, understand what homicides are about, how the detectives do their job. When they come on one of your homicide scene and you will have them in the city of Chicago, you link up with them, find out what they do. You take study groups, study this stuff. And it's like, they're like, but that's not, I don't want to do road patrol. I don't want to stop cars. It's like, you have to, that's the progression right. of things. Right. It just seems that, and, and I'm not getting down on today's generation because I love them. I really do. Uh, they, you know, they're the generation of like the switch, you know, yeah. Like I, I, there, there's little kids in my life and they, they have a switch and I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, you got Tecmo bowl on here. And I'm playing like old school Nintendo Tecmo yeah, bowl. Yeah, and, and they're like, this game sucks. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, there's like Madden when I'm like, no, this is the best. Look at Bo Jackson. You can't even catch him. You just run a zigzag. And they're, they're so like weird. They're like, you're weird. Right. But you know, so thank God for them for that. But they, the immediate gratification. And, and I think it has a lot to do with the internet. Like back in my day, if you wanted to know something, you had to research it and you didn't have the internet. Now you just pick up the digital communication device, sell your communication device, type in Google, blah, blah, blah. And you have it instantly at your hands. Yeah. So it's taken away a lot of patience and a lot of like work ethic. I think like they don't want to, they want, I want this. I want to be a homicide detective. I want to be on television. I want to, yeah, none of that, none of that crap happens, man. That's it, it, not how it works. And, and I, I, the way I always frame that, because I think there's some truth to what you say. I always kind of frame it as uh, you, you can't know what you don't know. And so, you know, especially when we're talking about careers, because I, you know, at National Lewis, uh, I also, you know, assisted with our criminal justice program and here at Cal College. And I do, I also get some students that say, I want to be a crime scene investigator. Uh, and I have to say, hey, like, I, I, I'm here, I'm never here to dash anyone's dreams, but we also have to be realistic. We also have to be pragmatic. Right. And unfortunately, just a bachelor's degree in criminal justice with no experience, with no uh, biology, with no science, with no hands-on work experience, it's not going to happen. Um, and so, and, 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 and to be fair, not to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. to be fair, like what, what they see, like the crime scene investigators, like, what are you talking about? Like we, we have, you know, evidence technicians that come on homicide scenes in Chicago, but they take a test. They'll take a test with like 3,000, 4,000 people for, you know, 12 jobs. So, and, and then they come, they bag up all the evidence, they collect the evidence and they send it to the crime lab where the real people analyze it, DNA, you know, ballistics, all that stuff. They do sure. the analyzation. It, it's not start to finish. You show up on the scene going, I'm here. And, oh, I have this DNA and it's, you know, I put it in a computer and like in two days I have this DNA from, you know, Matt Vickers and I'm going to go get him in Valpo because he did this. You're not the person that does that. You, right. you collect the evidence, you send it to the lab. The lab says, this is the results of this. They give it to the detectives. The detectives go, I have to go get a warrant for this person. And that's it. I mean, there's a bunch of moving parts here. It's not just you start to finish. This isn't CSI Chicago. 
Yes. Yes. And, and it, it like, am I wrong? It like completely ruins them. They're like, Oh my God. Really? And that's, and, and, and so, right. You know, again, if you only see uh, CSI uh, whatever, any of those shows and no one has explained to you the, the real practical pragmatic pathway that you could potentially take to get there. Uh, you just don't have any way of knowing otherwise. Um, right. And so, you know, uh, I, I can't blame 20 year olds for not knowing that. But again, to our previous point, that's kind of part of how you get to where you're trying to go. You have to research and you have to educate. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a big back and forth in the, the greater industry of career services on, hey, do we help promote students to reach for their dreams? Or do we do that more pragmatic, hey, here's mm -hmm. a realistic career that you could pursue. And so I am a little bit more of the former. I'm not here to step on anyone's dreams. Um, but I do then have to have those realistic conversations. If you, you know, I, I have plenty of students. And again, this makes me feel like a very old man to disparage someone who wants to do this. But I have plenty of students who say, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a, a full-time Twitch streamer. Um, and so like, hey, uh, I'm not here to say whether or not that's a valid career choice. Right. I know that there are people that make lots of money doing that, but it's not just as easy as plugging your computer uh, into Twitch and playing video games for eight hours a day. You do have to know <laughs> about video editing, about sound engineering. You have to know about marketing and personal branding. And like, there is a lot more than just playing video games uh, that goes into it. Uh, you have to know what kind of camera works for you. You have to know, right? And you have this uh, radio setup. It took you a little bit of research to figure out a good microphone, 100%. a good headphone. Uh, you've probably got a mixer. You, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, take research, take time, take money to figure out. And so, whatever uh, a student comes to me and says, "Hey, I ultimately want to do this," I'm never gonna say no unless it is like completely impossible. Um, but also let's have a realistic conversation about what this looks like. And so, you know, we do have quite a few students here at Calumet College who say, I want to play pro ball after I graduate. And so again, I don't want to disparage anybody, but also then it's, okay, what do we think it needs, we need to do to get there? And hey, also just as your career advisor, I have to kind of also recommend that maybe we plan for some backups. Uh, we have a safety net of other careers here. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say you're not at the gym 10 hours a day that you're not practicing threes, you know, uh, 50 hours a week. I'm not saying you're not putting in the work, but just statistically, the amount of people who play pro ball is very, very small. And so, okay, uh, if we don't make it to that point, what are some other realistic possibilities? Could you be a strength and conditioning coach? Could you do physical therapy? Could you, you know, coach minor league? Could you do any number of other things? Play on a private team, a club team? Um, let's let's explore this. And again, let me help you. Uh, let's work together to to teach you some things you didn't previously know about opportunities and pathways you could explore. I I find it, Matt. I find it hilarious when I when I see one of those people that I say we don't talk about, like you know, the music stars and the athletes and stuff. We don't talk about them, but what we will talk about is this. When they say, when they get an award or something, they say, follow your dreams, right? I love, I love when they say that follow your dreams. You know, I wish they would put in the caveat of follow your realistic dreams, right? Because you may have an incredible skill set that someone doesn't have, and you're following your dreams because of your skill set. So, you know, my skill sets are, I I'm, I'm very adaptable to situations. I can reinvent myself relatively easy because I, I came up with this. I wrote another article and I came up with this uh, acronym CAPER, C-A-P-E-R. And it stands for confidence. Uh, and it, basically what it stands for is confidence is derived from awareness, preparation, education, research. So what I say is to, to be a master of anything or to succeed in anything, you have to have confidence, right? You have to walk up to, if you, if you, if you walk up to a, a, a you know, a plate in a baseball diamond, you know, as a, you know, an MLB star, right. Whenever you're playing for the Chicago White Sox and you have zero confidence that you can hit a fastball, you're probably not in the right place. Right. Yes. By the same token, if you're going to be a professional in, in, you know, law enforcement, if you don't, if you're not a confident person, you're probably, you, you could get killed. So, so you have to have this confidence. So you have to be aware of your gaps, awareness, right? Preparation to address those gaps, right? Yep. Through education and research, right? Yep. So 
not every time I was put in a position in the police, but I remember a, a boss I had came up to me and handed me like this thousand page manual said, what do you know about UASI grants, urban areas, security initiatives, right? Grants that we were getting after nine 11. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Is that like a burger in Japan? UASI? No. <laughs> and he's like, no, here. And he handed me this thousand page manual. He's like, figure it out. <clears throat> and I'm like, <laughs> so I figured it out. Right. Because I read it and I actually, you know, took some trainings and did some things that I needed to, to understand it. So I, then I was able to figure out, Oh, we can't use money for this. We can use money for that. We need a line item for that. So I, I figured that out relatively easy. So, you know, when you say follow your dreams, they have to be realistic, right? You can't, you're not going to be an NFL defensive lineman. If you're five foot six and you weigh 165 pounds, right? Right. If that's the way God made you, you know, then that's the way God made you. Yeah. Maybe there's other gifts you have, but you're overlooking those gifts. And this is my point. People overlook their gifts because of their dreams. I want to be a Broadway actress. You can't sing. You can't dance. Even if you take in lessons, you still suck at both. Those <laughs> might not be your dreams, but maybe you're very good at, you know, writing papers. I don't know. Maybe you'd be a good writer, right? I'm just throwing a job out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that's when I, when I hear people, it drives me absolutely bonkers. When I see somebody, they hold up the trophy, they go, follow your dreams. And every kid in America is like, yes, yes. I'm going to hit 70 home runs in the, in the major league baseball. <laughs> no, you're not, dude. You're not hitting 70 home runs in baseball. It's not happening. Or when I'd watch my son play hockey, the parents, they, oh, my kid's going to get college scholarship. Where, where in Uganda? Do they have hockey there? Because it's not happening in the United States of America. You're watching the same thing I'm watching right now. You have to be realistic, you know? So when people come into you and they're like, they have this dream, I, I, you know, Matt, I really want to be an Olympic swimmer. We don't have a swim team at Calumet College. Like, what do you sell? What do you tell somebody who comes in with this dream that they have? You don't want to crush their soul, right? How, how do you handle it? And so, you know, it is, uh, again, it's a delicate conversation. I do try, especially with an 18 year old who has that like, uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed, like enthusiasm that, you know, maybe, uh, you and I could speak to sometimes the, the weight of the world as you get older, kind of wears that out. Mm. Uh, and so when you're 18 and you have that naive idealism of, I can do it, I can do whatever it is. Uh, I, I don't want to snuff that flame out, but I do to our previous point, I want to be, uh, pragmatic. So, so as an example, so uh, we have a, a section of classes here on campus that I present at every semester uh, for freshmen. It's called Gen L 100. Uh, and it's just like, a, it's a class that every freshman is required to take. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I have a week where I go to each of these classes and I introduce myself, I talk about our departments, and then I do a couple of activities to get students kind of thinking about uh, you know, how to get started with job searching. So it's identifying some of your skills. It's researching some careers and some occupations. It's doing a little bit of job searching and seeing what's out there. And so one semester, I have this, this student in class and we're going through the job search and she, it, uh, she finds a job and she raises her hand and she very sincerely asks, um, Mr. Vickers, is $70,000 a lot of money? Uh, and so again, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about how to, to approach this conversation. And I say, well, uh, there's a couple of different ways we could go about this. I said, you know, first it kind of depends on where you live, uh, here in Whiting or Hammond, uh, $70,000 is going to get you a lot farther than if you live in Cook County, Illinois, if you live in downtown Chicago. Right. Um, but then I also with students, especially with that type of stuff, I try to frame it as, Hey, I don't, that's not the only thing I want you to look at. Uh, you know, when we're thinking about jobs, I know it's easy to get focused on the salary, but let's think about the other reasons that people pursue jobs. What's the organization like? What's the culture like? What's the mission? What are the vacation days like? What are the benefits like? What's the commute time like? There's all these other things. Uh, and, but she like would not let up on this. But really, like, is $70,000 a, a lot of money? Uh, like, you couldn't buy a house with that amount of money. And, and so again, I'm like, again, it depends on where you live. It depends on what kind of house. And another girl sitting next to her goes, well, you know, my, my family, my dad doesn't make $70,000 and we bought a house. And, and this student is just like, she adds on to this. Well, but you couldn't buy a house with a pool for $70,000. And so then I had to, I said, okay, so you found a job that pays $70,000. Let's look <laughs> at it. 
And so we're looking at the job description. And just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, I said, all right, let's look at the qualifications and the requirements. And we just go down the bullet point of this. <laughs> okay, can you do this? Well, no. Have you ever done this before? Well, no. Do you have any experience doing this? No. No, 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 down the list. And I hate to, to, to your point, put that pin to that balloon, but I had to say, okay, you can't do any of the things that they're asking for. Why would they ever give you $70,000? And so, and that was like a very real moment for her of, oh, uh, and I, and I, so, and I had to talk to the class. I was like, you know, a job could be paying a million dollars a year, but if you don't have what they're looking for, if you don't have the <laughs> qualifications or the requirements or the experience, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and so, <laughs> so having that very realistic conversation of just like, Hey, I appreciate that you want to make a certain amount of money. We all do. Uh, life is expensive. It would be nice to make a lot of money. Um, but uh, and it would be nice, you know, to, to bring this back to your dreams. It would be nice to be a professional athlete, a professional musician. It would be nice to do those things. Um, but sometimes we don't have uh, the requirements and we have to be realistic. And uh, even with job searching, you know, I have some students that get discouraged. Well, I can't do this. I'm not qualified for this job. Okay, well, I don't want you to take that personally. That just means we have to find something that you're better qualified for. I don't, please don't take this personally. I don't want you to be so hard on yourself. Uh, we just have to find something else that fits your skills, that fits your education, that fits uh, what you can do. There are plenty of things that I can't do. Uh, and that's why I don't apply for those jobs. That's why I don't do those things. Because um, it's just not in my wheelhouse. I, you know, it's something you said, and I, I want to touch on this too before we wrap up time has flown by let me tell you buddy oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I love talking to you it's great um so one of the things that i think of is social media has kind of ruined the uh in my opinion no, strictly my opinion folks social media has kind of ruined like people's priority systems like in other words being thankful for what you have you know what I mean? Like, I'm thankful for, I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful my kids, you know, are good. I'm thankful that, you know, um, uh, that I'm able to get some services for my son, Danny, when he turns 22. I'm very thankful for those things. I'm thankful I'm able to go worship on Sundays. I'm thankful for, you know, a men's group, Bible study group that I'm part of on Saturday mornings um, at Mary Cedar Wisdom Parish in Park Ridge, where I, where I practice. And, you know, I'm very thankful for those things. I'm thankful my kids are healthy. And I think that social media has created this keeping up with the Joneses kind of like, oh, well, you know, I want a Benz and I want, uh, you know, Louis Vuitton, this and that. And I'm like, you know what? I couldn't care less about any of that crap. And it took me a while to get to that because you're enamored with things like that. And you think like, oh, well, this person and that person, or I want, you know, I I watch some of these guys that, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, as I said, I, I like to work out. So you look at some of these guys that are, you know, these bodybuilding guys, and they're like on four different types of performance enhancing drugs, and they're probably not very healthy at all. They may look it, but they're not. So I just got done saying this today. I'm thankful for the DNA God gave me, and I'm thankful for the brain he gave me, and I'm thankful for so many things that I have. And in today's world, I just think we completely missed that because people are so enamored with what Kim, I couldn't care less what Kim Kardashian is doing or who she's Absolutely married to not. this time. I don't, I don't care what any of these other idiots are doing. And I mean that affectionately, they're idiots, you know, <laughs> and, and they're influencing our society in a negative way. I mean, like I'm, I'm looking at the news and they're like, this person, let's see what this person was wearing to the Oscar. I couldn't care less about what they were doing. Way. There's people in the city of Chicago that don't eat every day. Yes. There's people in the city of Chicago that have no home. There's people that are dramatically addicted to drugs that will net an alcohol destroying their lives. You think I give a flip what Kim Kardashian's <laughs> doing? I couldn't care less. So, you know, I look at that and I think that that's ruined it. We got like a, like a minute and a half left, Matt. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation and maybe we'll come back some other time and talk, but what advice would you give a young person in a minute or less on how they can go about getting a career in today's society, keeping the realistic dreams we talked about? So, you know, uh, something you mentioned earlier, uh, communication is key. Um, in, in so many things, not only in uh, connecting with new opportunities and meeting new people, but also in, you know, as you establish yourself as a professional. Uh, I don't know if you're a Simpsons guy. Uh, I love like the first 10 seasons of the Simpsons and Homer has that joke about uh, here's to beer, 
the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Uh, I, I will use that affectionately, uh, but with communication instead of beer, right? I think a lack of communication causes so many problems. And the only mm. way to solve those is to clarify, is to recommunicate. And so, you know, as you're looking to take those next steps, you're getting started. I have so many young students who just don't talk, right? Hey, it's okay if you're going to miss uh, work today, if you can't come to class, but you just got to let me know, right? And then, and that kind of uh touches on everything else right in order to find that opportunity in order to talk to someone who does that you have to communicate right you have to put yourself out there you have to have those conversations and, and again not to be that old person yelling at the clouds but i just to your point i think some of our younger students aren't at that place where they feel comfortable communicating so yeah awesome. that's, that's what i would recommend for sure communicate 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 well matt vickers director of uh career services at calumet college of st joseph thanks for being on the show Danny, really thank you for having it. me. I really enjoyed it. And this has been Everyday Warriors. You've been listening to us today. Um, stay tuned next week for more content. I am Dr. Danny McGuire, uh, Department Chair at Calumet College of St. Joseph for Criminal Justice and Public Safety. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening and be safe.